Welcome to the Product Podcast, brought to you by Product School, the podcast where you get fresh insight from leaders at top tech companies and startups. Remember, you can learn product management in person at our 15 campuses worldwide or study with us online. Visit productschool.com to learn more about our courses. You can also hang out with the leaders from these podcasts at our hundreds of annual events and catch us at ProductCon, the world's largest PM conference that takes place every year across the United States and in London. Uh, yes, I'm Mariano Gabizzani. I'm a product manager at HSBC, and today I'm going to be talking to you about um, one of the most important things you'll ever do as a product manager, which is product decisions in light of competing demand and limited resources. So that's the art of making impossible choices, and that's what we product managers called life. So let's start. Um, I believe that product management is the best job in the world, right? That's why I'm here. Um, that's why I speak and preach and want people to join the flock. So why is that? Well, that's because we have a great power to connect with people's lives and enrich people's lives. And um, we don't just do this for 10, 20 people. Sometimes it's hundreds and thousands and millions of people. So this is a great responsibility. Uh, we have the chance to connect with people's emotions, and we know that we get a lot of emotion from the products that we build. We get a lot of love, we get some mess, and we get uh, sometimes some hate. So we are connected to those emotions. Also, if you're a product manager, you are at the center of quintessential human endeavors like art and science and psychology and economics. So you are the one charged with making sure that all these disciplines work together to build a cohesive product and to build a great experience. So you're like a director of the orchestra, and you are surrounded by artists that play wonderful instruments and create a beautiful symphony. If you're a product manager, you're also a writer of stories, and you use the story as a way of articulating your product vision and your narrative in a way that creates a credible sequence of events, it articulates a great goal you want to achieve for your customers and your business, and is a tool that you can use to evangelize internally and externally and get buy-in from your business. And everybody loves stories. You are also a tinkerer with toys and money, and you get a chance to try new things and break things and learn. You also are the one that is charged with motivating people to follow you on this great adventure, uh, which is building a product. So you're the one that leads the way, and you're the one that acts as a product compass. You are surrounded by superheroes, which are really talented people that need somebody to tell them and make the hard choices. Uh, and these people will build amazing uh, products for you and launch amazing products, which land vertically in a beautiful dance of precision. But importantly, uh, your, your team, you're the one that makes sure they all work together and you know, pull in the same direction. You're the one plugged into all the conversations about uh, the different disciplines involved in building a product, listening to their opportunities, their context, and their challenges. Uh, you are the hipster that knows a lot about art and design and has sensibility for user experience. You're the hacker that knows about code 
and build pipelines and packaging, and you are the hustler that knows what it takes to package a product, release it, and put it live. <clears throat> uh, you're also the one that uh, creates a sense of trust within the team and trust with your stakeholders and your leadership. And we know that trust, when it comes to product, um, yeah, there's many ways of articulating it, but one way, the most important thing is that trust comes from predictable delivery. And finally, you are an influencer, uh, and you influence other people not by the power that you possess, but the power of your ideas. So, in summary, you are a director, you uh, present a vision which is achievable, you are surrounded by superheroes that are empowered to build, you have deep conversations with everyone, and you earn trust by predictable delivery, and you influence people. So that's all great and good, but what do we do all day? Well, we make choices. We are making choices every single day, hundreds of times per day, in the face of competing opportunities and competing demand from everybody that's asking things from us. Um, we are always limited on resources. We don't have infinite resources. We are bound to deliver continuous increments of value in our product, and we have to do it at a predictable pace. So that's not very easy. So you have to choose wisely what you do. So every day you are on a product managers and on crossroads where they need to make choices about what feature to build and what not to build. So you do it at different levels. Um, you do it when you define the strategy that you will follow to address the market, when you select the initiatives, epics, features, and stories uh, that you will um, uh, put into build pipeline. You uh, make choices uh, when you want to uh, you know, go after a particular KPI on your business or maybe even uh, decide to put your resources on. Uh, it's, it's expanding your platform for future scalability. You make choices on the different stages of the Agile lifecycle, from the discovery, during planning, in sprint, during release, and after release. And also, you have to do this with uh, the data that you can muster, or if there's no data available, your instincts that you have developed as a product manager, and you have to reach consensus to be convincing. So it's not easy. So you need a technique. You need a model to follow. Um, and if you people don't agree with exactly what model you use, at least they agree with the criteria. Uh, so what model do you use? Well, you can use the Marie Kondo model. That's it, right? If a feature doesn't spark joy, you just thank it and you discard it, right? That's it. Well, um, no, I have another one. Um, uh, this is the one I propose, and I call it the Mariano Cabezani four-step awesome and quite excellent prioritization technique, right? It's patented. So, four steps. Number one, know the context. Uh, see, here's where you need to look around and see where you are and know what the industry is doing and your competitors are doing. And you need to decide what role you want to play. Are you going to be one of the pack or are you on a different mission? Or maybe you're looking to switch roles. But you also need to look internally at your own business and what the goals are and what the ambition is. If the strategy is to open up to new markets and create new opportunities and capabilities to address you know, different markets, different customer segments, 
then you probably want to understand what those goals are because they will translate into your priorities. Or maybe you are looking to uh, solve for a particular regional problem and create you know, propositions that address a particular vertical. Or maybe you already are in a, in a given space and you want to go deeper into uh, a particular proposition to enable more growth. So you have to look internally and externally. If you are in a regulated environment, like banking, uh, well, you need to know if there's a body of regulation going your way, uh, which you need to address, otherwise you won't continue to be able to operate in the business. <coughs> so you have to look both internally and externally. Uh, you have to be very aware of the different trends uh, in the industry, um, competitors, and what regulation is demanding of you. Um, you need to clearly understand what the company goals are, because in the end, whatever you build uh, will be tied back. Uh, the priorities you take will be tied back to these KPIs. And ultimately, you need to understand if you're in a position where you want to grow, you want to enable new businesses, you want to focus on a particular vertical, you want to lead or you want to respond to the market. Great, so second, uh, you need to understand the need. And there's many people asking many things of you. Uh, here's where you need to stop and pause and listen very carefully and observe very carefully what your customers are asking. Sometimes it comes as a whisper and sometimes it comes as a resounding message. <clears throat> a resounding message. Um, so, and you know, this is when you read uh, on some reviews, sometimes you get the heat of what customers are expecting. Uh, so here's where you have to be like an adult, um, like a parent, where you probably don't want to give your kids candy all the time. You need to make sure you give real value over perception of value. You probably won't give your kids candy. You probably won't uh, commit to deliver features and do whatever it takes to deliver features, even though you know you won't be able to deliver them. Um, so... Um, Again, really important that you have the um, ability to discern between um, value over perception. Um, but the customers are not the only ones asking things of you. You also will have your internal partners and team members telling you things. So designers will always advocate and tell you to spend time and resources to make sure that whatever product you build has the best design, the most elegant UX and is simple and easy to use, of course. Uh, your engineering uh, partners will tell you they need to spend a lot of time making sure that the product you build is resilient and doesn't blow over when there's too much load. Um, also, technology will tell you, well, you need to do a lot of upfront investment uh, in making sure that whatever we build is fully automated and it can be just with the top of a button, it can run all sophisticated types of testing and security testing. So that might be a lot of upfront cost, but it's a great investment in the end. And people working on operations will also tell you, well, it's time that we really got out of certain platforms, and we need to do it now, otherwise we're going to pay the price. And you know, often the answer to them is, nah, it's too busy. So you need to listen to everyone painfully close, to what they're telling you, uh, your customers, uh, your business, uh, your stakeholders, and need to make sure to discern, again, real value over perception. <clears throat> right. So the third step is to consider the execution. There's cost and effort in building anything. And the outcomes that you want to drive 
uh, as your product manager, the outcomes you want to provide to your customers ultimately uh, come down to the expenditure of resources, like economics. So you need to ask yourself, are you equipped to deliver? Uh, like a kitchen, do you have the right ingredients? Like a workshop, do you have the right tools? Are you aware of the intricate network of dependencies and their interlock that are needed to deliver something? Sometimes you're not the only one that builds the pieces required. Sometimes other teams have other priorities. Do they fit with your priorities? Well, sometimes you don't have all the answers either. So um, product management is a risk tolerance exercise where you have to go and take some risks sometimes some unknowns. Well, if you do, well, at least very, very carefully listen to what your risk managers are telling you uh, and at least understand what the blast radius is in case something goes wrong because it will go wrong. So understand what the exposure is to your product, to your business, and to your customers uh, because if you get uh, that call at 3 a.m. when something's down and you have no answers, then you're probably not doing your job very well and won't continue to do it. Um, so th this becomes a very complex uh, relationship between a lot of parameters like value and effort and satisfaction, reach and complexity and cost. So that's all very difficult. But fortunately, we have um, frameworks and models that we can use. So please use them. So for example, one of them is the very basic uh, value over effort matrix where you plot your features uh, against the value they deliver, against the effort required to build them, you can clearly see that the high-value, low-effort wins over low-value, high-effort. Uh, and then the rest sits somewhere in between where you probably need more analysis. That's just a very first simple way of doing it. Uh, you can also use the RICE scoring method, which you basically assign a parameter of reach and impact and confidence against effort for every feature you want to build. And the, the, the scoring gives you a way of ranking features against each other. Um, there's also the Cano model, which is a bit different. Um, this model basically categorizes features uh, in, category, in three categories. One of them has to do with features that, no matter how much uh, effort you put into the implementation, satisfaction doesn't really increase too much, like logging into your app, right? However cool it is, people just want it to work. The linear satisfiers are those where effort really grows, satisfaction grows proportionally to effort. So you want to spend some time adding additional, uh, you know, enhancing that experience and making it better, making those jobs easier to do because they will provide a return. And then the third group that the lighters are the magical group where with a little bit more effort and a little bit more love, you get incrementally a lot more love from your customers. So this is a way of understanding what to choose and what the different uh, options are for the different features that you want to build. Um, so <clears throat> are you equipped to deliver? This is the first thing you need to understand. Um, do you have the resources and understanding of the dependencies to build anything? Consider product management as a risk tolerance exercise. You won't get all the answers, uh, but you need to make sure you understand the, the consequences. Um, and very importantly, uh, there's a relationship between the perceived value and the end-to-end -end complexity, which you need to find ways of modeling, and there are tools for that. 
Right, so finally, the fourth, fourth step is to arrange the sequence. So here's where it all comes together like, you know, like a puzzle that you're solving. So this is a game of multiple interlock and dependencies uh, where you need to understand how one thread of work, one team, uh, how that basically works towards uh, the other and creates synergies. Uh, so maybe the first advice would be, well, just follow the story. That story that you articulated as your product vision, that is the driver of what sequence of events should be happening. So uh, that's probably the first thing you should consider because once you've laid out the story, you probably want to go through it and you want to follow through. Um, all things being equal, you probably always want to deliver continuous increments of value to your customers, right? They get bored from your product very quickly. They always want more. The business always wants more. So if you basically set out a sequence and a cadence of, of, of improvements on the jobs that the customers need to do, new jobs that they want to do, or improvements on the existing ones, they're probably already winning. Uh, but sometimes you need to pause and think about the bigger pieces. Sometimes you need to replatform and enable your business to grow by spending cycles and calories on building new tools. Um, well, it's a tough choice, but sometimes you have to do this. You have to pause some of those efforts into creating um, additional value for the future. So you let your teams run ahead, and when they're done, basically we have a clear view of how these things accelerate your product. But sometimes these efforts um, are, are slow, and it's hard to understand what the value is. It's hard to see them even moving. So it kind of takes guts to make choices here, but this is your job as a product manager. You have to make the hard choices around, uh, you know, wh whatever, the, whatever the sunk cost is, just stopping those initiatives that will not deliver value anymore and pivoting towards something that will. So nobody else will make that choice for you. <clears throat> In the end, this is about making sure that the different teams work efficiently uh, towards each other. If there's something that you know, an enabler or a dependency that you know won't be available, you cannot accelerate it, well, don't build elements towards it until those are at least understood. It's a game of interlock. But if you do that, in the end, you will come up with a beautiful dance of precision where everything fits into place and delivers a consistent cadence. And that's what you probably want. Right, uh, so it's a game of dependencies and interlock. Uh, if all things being equal, try to follow the story that you set up. Uh, and importantly, understand the, the difference between, uh, or the relationship between value of doing something now and the convenience of doing bigger pieces and urgency versus enablement of new businesses. And in the end, like economics, this is a game of making sure you use your resources very efficiently. That's the best way to, to deliver a consistent cadence. Right, so these are the four steps. Uh, the context, the need, the execution, and the sequence. Um, if you're in a hurry, and you probably always will be in a hurry, you can always apply the acid, apply the acid test, uh, which is basically you ask yourself uh, a series of questions before you uh, start thinking about any feature. And these are questions like, that I really need to do this uh, to continue to operate in my business? Um, does this contribute to my strategy and my goals and my vision or any of the KPIs that I've defined? Uh, does this benefit a significant market? 
you probably always want to look first at the features that will benefit the majority, not a small group, how we're profitable, but sometimes you have to make the opposite choice. Um, does this maximize the value I will get over the cost? And once you actually do build it, can it be released? Can it be measured? And can it be supported? And what happens if things go wrong? Are you equipped to handle the consequences? Right. Um, if you've been a product manager, you know that this is what it feels like. You're a juggler where making the wrong choice is painful. And you need to be quite careful about the choices you make. So you know, use models, get ready, get prepared. Right, uh, so that's all I have for today. Uh, I really hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very much, and enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you for listening to The Product Podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. For more product insights, head over to productschool.com. <laughs>